Well, welcome. At the Ambassadors Forum, our whole purpose is to equip every believer, everyone that we can, to better understand and defend their faith. That's the aim behind everything that we do. And that's my aim today behind this microphone. My name is Brian Overholt. I'm filling in for Roy Swart again this week. I'm not an MIT graduate. My credential here at the Ambassadors Forum is that I got my degree in journalism and advertising from the University of Oregon's Journalism School, and I was still a Christian when I graduated. There are many whose faith have not survived that, and I would say no Christian gets through any part of U of O without their faith being tested. Well, last week we listened in on a conversation one of our own apologists had with a student. Our apologist had assumed the role of the atheist, and the student was attempting to make a case for the Christian faith. And we're going to hear from some more students today. But first, I want to talk a little bit more about college and why we do this work with youth at the Ambassadors Forum. My wife and I both graduated from the U of O. We're both diehard Duck fans, but we also both have stories from our time there in which our faith came into major conflict with our education and sometimes even created additional challenges for us in getting good grades or earning our degrees. And I saw many, many times people who tried to evangelize on the school campus and they would nearly always become surrounded by students who would shout them down and eventually run them off of school property. It was a very hard place to be a Christian. Much of the time you really had to fly under the radar because anytime you started to talk about Jesus, to a lot of people there, those were kind of fighting words. And for a kid that's just trying to finish his degree and get out of there, you just couldn't do that all the time. And that is what so many of our young people face when they leave the nest and go off to college. They're going to run the gauntlet, so to speak. That's what it is now. In fact, even more so now than when I went through college. This is a huge part of the reason why we do what we do at the Ambassadors Forum, because youth are still going to leave and go to college. That is going to continue. So the question is, when they get to college and run the gauntlet, are they going in with some protection? Well, what do I mean by that? Some listeners might even be unsure of what running the gauntlet means. It's a phrase that isn't used very often anymore. So quick history lesson. For millennia, the military in Rome and Greece and really much of the world actually would punish soldiers for serious crimes by making them run between two rows of people holding clubs or other weapons. And the criminal soldier would be beaten as he went through. And often if he made it out the other end alive, his crimes were considered paid for. Well, that was a gauntlet. It was a military punishment, a corrective action taken against soldiers who had done some terrible wrong. And it was probably effective because if you happen to survive it, you most likely would not want to ever commit that same crime again. Well, many areas of our society, but most especially our universities, have been made into social, cultural, and academic gauntlets. And in some of these arenas, Christianity is a crime or the nearest thing to it. The gauntlet is going to do its best to beat your faith out of you through peer pressure, shaming, uh, poor grades, blocking you from academic opportunities, etc. If our kids go through that gauntlet knowing only what Christianity teaches, but not knowing the reasons why we should believe it, 
or why we know this to be true, why this is a faith worth suffering and even dying for, the arguments against the Christian faith may seem overwhelming to them. The social and academic cost of their faith may seem to be a price too large to pay. If those students aren't given the tools necessary to know why faith in Christ is the firmest foundation that anybody can ever have, and to prove it to themselves whenever they need to, then we're failing them. It's the difference between running through a gauntlet with no protection versus running through it with a shield. It's still a gauntlet, but with a shield, you are so much better protected. And even if your child isn't going to college, there are lots of other gauntlets, plenty of opposition to the Christian faith in our society outside of college. But enough doom and gloom about the world. I only bring that up to highlight the importance of equipping our youth now, and that leads us to the much more positive focus of today's episode, which is students that are doing it right. As we mentioned last time, at the start of November, the Ambassadors Forum had the privilege to teach apologetics at a missions conference that aimed at youth. It was called the Ignite Conference, put on by Student Connection, which is the youth branch of Mission Connection, and that's connection with an X. And while we were there teaching apologetics, we set up a booth in the exhibition hall with a little mobile recording studio and invited kids to come and defend their faith. And some kids bravely came forward and did an excellent job. So this morning, we're going to listen to what they had to say. Well, to start off, we have our own Adrian Toter, once again, sitting down with some students. This time, it's two girls who will remain nameless because we actually didn't get their names on the recording. Oops. Well, Adrian started with the same I believe in science sort of arguments. But after a bit of back and forth, he just came right out and asked them, basically, tell me why I should believe in God. Now, let's hear what this first girl has to say to him. As an atheist, I've had many Christians come and say, I should be born again. And I'm asking for, get me there, because so I don't see you're it. you're asking for a reason for our faith. Yeah. Pretty much? Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of times where I've doubted, like, is it worth it? And obviously, from my point of view, I know that it's worth it. I know who Christ is. And living in Christ is knowing him and following him and not just believing that he's there and he is a God. Well, no, he is the God, the only way, the truth, and the life. And it's not just knowing that he's there, but knowing him and daily him changing you. And I also believe that that's the only way. If you look at Christianity, you, it can't be along with any other religion. There's only one religion. And you can pick any other one, but this one is the only one. You can't have more than one. And I think that my reason for living after Christ and knowing Christ is that I have not found any true joy in anything else. I know a lot of times I will have made decisions in the past that I know are not pleasing Christ and I found that in the moment I want it because I feel like it will give me happiness. It will satisfy the desire that I have in my flesh and it ends up not satisfying and in fact I'm more hungry afterwards. I wish I had not done that and Christ satisfies that hunger and that desire and he loves unconditionally. He is so gracious, so merciful and I have not found that elsewhere. All right, this was actually really good. For a teenager to be able to, off the cuff, give a reason for her faith like this without any preparation, this was actually really excellent. So I want to listen back to it one more time, piece by piece, and just comment on a few of the things that she said. So here's the first part. 
struggle, my reason for my faith, there's a lot of times where I've doubted, like, is it worth it? And obviously, from my point of view, I know that it's worth it. I know who Christ is, and living in Christ is knowing Him and following Him and not just believing that He's there and He is a God. Well, no, He is the God, the only way, the truth, and the life. And it's not just knowing that He's there, but knowing Him and daily Him changing you. First, she is clarifying what it means to be a Christian. She says, it's not just about knowing that there is a God, but it's about knowing him personally. Just like she said, it's not just knowing that God is there, it's about knowing him and daily him changing you. It's not just about believing certain truths. We're talking about something much deeper than that. And I also believe that that's the only way. If you look at Christianity, you, it can't be along with any other religion. There's only one religion, and you can pick any other one, but this one is the only one. You can't have more than one. Okay, so we have to draw her meaning out from her words a little bit here, but that's okay. But let's break down what she said. She said, if you look at Christianity, it can't be along with any other religion. So this sounds like she's pointing out the exclusivity of Christianity. And then after that, she says, there is only one religion you can pick any other one, but this one is the only one. You can't have more than one. So what I'm hearing her say here is that you can't believe in multiple religions, probably because no two religions agree. And she's identifying Christianity as the only true religion. And she's exactly right. Christianity is completely incompatible with any other religion. The claims of Jesus Christ and the Bible in general precludes every other world religion. So that if the Bible is true and Jesus was telling the truth, then all other religions have to be false. Just as Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus rules out all other ways to God. But more than that, even just a cursory study of world religions in general would show that nearly all of them are exclusive to some degree or another. But she hasn't said yet why she has picked Christianity or why Adrian should. So that comes next. Let's hear what she says. And I think that my reason for living after Christ and knowing Christ is that I have not found any true joy in anything else. I know a lot of times I have made decisions in the past that I know are not pleasing Christ. And I found that in the moment, I want it because I feel like it will give me happiness. It will satisfy the desire that I have in my flesh. And it ends up not satisfying. And in fact, I'm more hungry afterwards. I wish I had not done that. And Christ satisfies that hunger and that desire. And he loves unconditionally. He is so gracious, so merciful. And I have not found that elsewhere. Her reason for choosing Christianity is that she has found true joy in Christ that she has not found anywhere else or in anything else. There have been times that she's turned to other things for fulfillment or pleasure, and they left her with a deep emptiness, so much so that when it was done, she wished she had never strayed. When Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15 to always be ready to give an apologia, an apologetic, a reasoned defense for the hope that is in you, does this fulfill that command? The reason I'm asking is that often people think apologetics is all logic and evidence, philosophy. So they hear this and would say, well, 
that's not really an apologetic. That's just her testimony. But it is also a powerful apologetic. If you've got arguments and evidence, these airtight syllogisms to prove that God exists and Jesus must be the Christ, all of that is great. But many times, the person you're talking to might not be looking for that. I like to think about it sort of like shopping at Amazon. Here's a product on Amazon that promises to be the very thing that I need. The picture looks good, the price looks good, and I've checked out all the specs. I've got the facts. I've got the arguments and the evidences for this product. Fine. But ultimately, there is one thing that I want to see before I make my decision about whether this product is for me or not. I want to see the reviews. I want to hear the testimonies of the people that have bought this thing before me. Because if it was no good for them, I'm probably going to look elsewhere. But if it helped them, that makes me want to try it. So likewise, there are going to be plenty of people who don't necessarily want arguments and evidence. They may not know what to do with that, and they'll just set it aside. But tell them what Christ did within you and for you, and that could be compelling. And we are called to acknowledge Christ before men, such as in Luke 12, 8. And confessing Christ, acknowledging Christ before men, is more than merely confessing that we believe in him. It is also confessing what he has done. On the cross, for sure, but also what he has done in our lives. Your testimony of what knowing Jesus has done in your life, that is the first apologetic that you should learn. Because if you can make a case for God's existence, but you can't tell me how knowing God has changed you, well, what is that saying? It sounds like you're trying to sell something you've never used. This unnamed girl, she was on a roll, and I wish we could have heard more from her, but at this point, there's a different young lady who has a very different perspective and wants to push back a little bit on some of these points. And what she has to say is very instructive. So let's listen to her view. If I may, me being Native American, born and raised, I've often thought, like how you do, if there is a God who can allow so much injustice within the past 200 years, especially with my people and the church, Christianity leaves a bad name, a bad taste in our mouths. They've stolen our children. They've killed, murdered, raped our women. And as a Native American trying to be on this path of Christ, it's hard because I have my doubts and I have my cultural religion that I follow. But the church tells me I'm wrong for following and believing that. And that I must become saved and become honestly white to be accepted into the kingdom. Now she raises some really weighty issues. Here we have a Native American young woman, and she seems to have some problems with the truths that the first girl communicated. There are two big points she has made so far, which are very important to touch on. First, she's bringing up the long history of injustices that have been done to her people. And she claims that much of it was done by the church. Now, I cannot speak to whether that is accurate or not, but let's just grant that. 
all of these atrocities were done by professing Christians. And she is saying here that she has wrestled with the question of why God would allow such atrocities, how she is supposed to follow the same Jesus as all the evil people that did these things to her ancestors. Now, when somebody raises a very emotional issue like this, a cerebral, logical response is really going to strike the wrong tone. Often a situation like this requires time and sensitivity, and eventually an opportunity will arise to talk through how to reconcile these atrocities with Jesus and the goodness of God. But for now, let's just pretend for a moment that we've done that. Maybe it took weeks or months, but the moment is here, and we can speak to this issue without sounding callous. So how do we reconcile this? Well, firstly, we might point out that not everybody who calls themselves Christian is really following Christ. And the atrocities that she listed are so heinous and depraved, it's hard to see how anyone indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God could commit such acts. Jesus said himself in John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Then in John 15, he talks about how anyone who abides in him will bear fruit. And in 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6, it says, The one who says, I have come to know God and yet does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in such a person. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he resides in God ought himself to walk as Jesus walked. End quote. So if we see someone calling themselves Christian committing such heinous evils, we are more than justified in disbelieving their Christian testimony. But secondly, we might also point out that without God to set an objective standard of moral good, no atrocities could be said to be objectively evil. You would have your moral opinions and beliefs, and I would have mine, but without a moral law set by a transcendent being, no moral beliefs could be correct or false. So without God, you and I could agree that such evil deeds are wrong, but that would only mean that we share the same opinion but no opinion could actually be right or correct. So, to affirm the objective moral evil of these atrocities against the Native Americans, that would actually imply that God must exist. So, while it might have been self-proclaimed Christians that did these awful things to your people, the very word of God shows them to be imposters. But there was another big point that she made in that clip. She says that in addition to Christ, she also practices and believes in her cultural religion. She says that the church tells her she's wrong for following and believing that religion. And she says, quote, they tell me I must be saved and must become honestly. It is critically important that we understand what she means by this. And and she's not here for us to ask, so I'm going to suggest two possible ways to understand this. Either these Christians that she's speaking about told her 
that she could not be a faithful Christian unless she gave up being a cultural Native American. She'd have to become culturally white. Or she is saying that being saved and following Christ exclusively is a white thing. Now, if these Christians in her life were telling her that she could not continue honoring her heritage and follow Christ at the same time, I'd want to know why. Without knowing the details of her specific tribal culture, I'm going to just suggest that it's generally possible to faithfully follow Christ while still honoring your cultural heritage. If you were an ancient Mesopotamian and your heritage was worshiping Molech, that would be a problem. You're going to have to leave that behind to follow Jesus. But if she's saying that being saved and following Christ alone is white, well, that's just false. People from every color and culture have laid everything aside to follow Christ alone. Not to mention that Jesus was from the Middle East. When your Savior is Middle Eastern, it seems odd to say that following him is a white thing. It is really such a lie in our culture right now to make everything about skin color so that just being Christian is only for people with white skin. Christians from most other continents could all tell you that their skin color has not kept them from Christ at all, and neither should yours. Now, I don't know what her cultural religion entails, but if it involves other gods, other spirits, or deities, a different path to salvation or eternal life, well, then you don't really believe in the God of the Bible or Jesus. When God's first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me, that's a pretty final statement. When Jesus said, nobody comes to the Father except through me, he made no exceptions to that. When Paul wrote in Galatians 1 that God's curse should fall on anyone, even an angel, if they preach a different gospel than the one that he preached, that is serious, serious stuff. So preserving the history and culture of your people is one thing, but Jesus doesn't allow us to have him alongside other gods, and his gospel is not just one way to eternal life. We either accept it as the only way, or else we are rejecting it, and God's curse is upon us. But if all we're talking about here is just cultural appreciation, well, I don't think anybody would see any real problem with just appreciating your cultural heritage. But she had a bit more to say, so let's take a listen to the rest. But in my culture, you can accept God or you can accept you know, whoever you believe in and still get into that other place, no matter who you are, no matter if you're an atheist or if you're a Christian, a Catholic, a Buddhist. When I hear the conversation like this going on, I often hear a one-sided thing to it, you know? And I'm kind of here to listen, learn, and then see how I, as a Native American, can stand up for the generations behind me and that are in front of me. And it sounds like, according to her culture, you can believe pretty much anything you want, and you can still get into the other place, as she puts it. I think she's talking about heaven, or maybe there's a different type of afterlife in her cultural religion that she's referring to. 
What we have here is the idea that all religions lead to God. The Bible leaves no room for that. Jesus leaves no room for that. Jesus will not share you. He says, you cannot have any other saviors besides me. Either I am your savior alone, or I am not. Well, the beautiful thing about this was that this young lady here was able to hear a lot of these truths that I'm sharing with you on air. She was able to hear these live from Adrian, from the other young woman that was with her. So praise the Lord for that. So if you are a young person and you would like to defend the faith, we invite you to join us. We train youth to do exactly this at our Apologetics Pizza Nights. These events are, of course, named Apizzagetics. But we have other similar events for adults as well. And if that sounds good to you, please come and visit us over at theambassadorsforum.com. And if you'd like to get notified of upcoming events, find us on Facebook or sign up for emails. And I just want to leave you with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And until next time, I pray that God will give you the courage to bring that message of reconciliation to those around you this week. Amen. Amen.